So I wanna thank our uh, confirmation class as part of their preparation for being confirmed in the faith. They help lead worship services like this one, um, and their families have made sure to get them here. They rehearsed before Thanksgiving, and uh, there are a lot of y'all, <laughs> and it's kind of intimidating standing behind that pulpit and reading, and they did a fantastic job. So confirmation class, thank you very much. Let's give them a round of applause. Proud of y'all. Marley was dead to begin with. There is no doubt whatever about that. The register of his burial was signed by the clergyman, the clerk, the undertaker, and the chief mourner. Scrooge signed it, and Scrooge's name was good upon exchange for anything he chose to put his hand to. Old Marley was as dead as a doornail. <laughs> so that's the way a Christmas carol begins. I first read that opening paragraph. Uh, 20 years ago, and I've read it every year since. Now, I know um, most of us know at least the, the general plot of A Christmas Carol. Um, it was written by Charles Dickens. It was published in 1843. It's a story that is as closely associated with Christmas as uh, almost any other story, with possibly the sole exception being the account of Christ's birth recorded in the Gospel of Luke. But knowing the story of A Christmas Carol and actually reading A Christmas Carol are two very different things. I first decided to read the story when I was sick one year. During this, my favorite season of the year, I distinctly remember uh, reading those opening words for the first time when I was sitting in an urgent care getting tested for the flu. And when I read it for the first time, I fell in love with the uh, original account of the redemption of Ebenezer Scrooge. Now there are um, obviously lots of popular screen adaptations of the story, of course. This high-tech version of the story is from 1901. I'm not sure which ghost that is, but uh, <laughs> this is a British short film. It's just six minutes and 20 seconds long. This one really barely counts, but it's a British story and it's the first one, so I decided to include this one. Um, there have been several black and white versions of the story that are pretty famous, 1935, 1938, 1951. This is uh, Alistair Sim playing Scrooge in the 51 film, which is a classic, it's pretty popular. Films in color include Albert Finney playing Scrooge in 1970. This is George C. Scott playing Scrooge in 1984. There's a whole generation of folks who uh, primarily identify George C. Scott with the role. There have been lots of animated adaptations. Um, some of y'all may remember Mr. Magoo's version in 1962. Uh, Bugs Bunny did a version in 1979. Mickey Mouse did one in 1983. I love this version of the story. Um, the Flintstones did a version in 1994. The math doesn't really work out on that, but that's okay. And then there's that Robert Zemeckis version, looks like the Polar Express from, uh, from 2009. There have also been adaptations that are, have funny and poignant twists like Bill Murray in uh, Scrooged from 1988. I saw that one in the theater. I still think that one's terrific. This is Will Ferrell and Ryan Reynolds in Spirited, which came out last year. Our family very much enjoyed. Uh, in fact, it was the first Christmas movie we watched this year on Thanksgiving Eve. I'm very, um, I guess a little proud to report we've watched five Christmas movies already so far. Yep, started with Spirited, then we watched Noel, then we watched uh, Home Alone and A Christmas Vacation, and uh, what was the other one that we watched? 
There was a fifth one. Elf, oh, of course, Elf. Yeah, how can I forget Elf? So, not that y'all are behind, but those are five recommendations if you wanna watch any of those. The bottom line is that there is an incredible variety of options if you want to watch some version of the, the story of Scrooge being visited by four ghosts who changed the trajectory of his life. But none of those um, screen adaptations, no matter how good, and many of them are quite good, none of them matches the brilliance of Dickens' original. If you've never read it, I would highly encourage you to, at some point, pick up a copy. It is without peer, both in terms of uh, literary, qual uh, literary quality and cultural impact. It's funny, it's moving, and it really does stay with you long after you read it. For 180 years now, A Christmas Carol has charmed uh, audiences with a tale that pretty memorably captures some important aspects of Christian theology, which makes it the perfect guide for our Advent sermon series. So over the, the course of these three weeks, our Advent series is called The Spirit of Christmas. If you know the story, it will, you will not be surprised to know we're gonna be talking about the past, the present, and the yet to come, because that obviously follows the story arc of A Christmas Carol, but also because um, that's relevant for each of us along our spiritual journeys. Dickens' masterpiece has something to teach us all during this most blessed season of the year. So in the opening chapter, um, we first meet Ebenezer Scrooge on a cold and lonely Christmas Eve, and it is clear that he is a miserable, miserable human being. Dickens writes this, Oh, but he was a tight-fisted hand at the grindstone, Scrooge, a squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner, hard and sharp as flint from which no steel had ever struck out generous fire, secret and self-contained and solitary as an oyster. <laughs> Scrooge has become a metaphor for a greedy, miserable person. He's miserly, he's selfish, he's mean-spirited, he's unkind. And so on that Christmas Eve, his old business partner, Jacob Marley, long since dead as a doornail, visits him from beyond the grave. And he comes to warn Scrooge that if he does not change, he is doomed to eternal punishment. So you know the story. Marley arranges for three spirits to visit Scrooge, beginning with the ghost of Christmas past. That's our subject for today. And in this in this first encounter, we get um, a glimpse of the circumstances that made Scrooge what he has become. If in that opening scene, in the opening chapter, we get uh, an entirely despicable caricature and picture of this, this covetous old sinner, to use Dickens' phrase, in the second chapter, he actually becomes a more sympathetic character. We learn that as a child, uh, he had been abandoned by his parents. We learn that he had lived a life of want and deprivation. We learned that he had grown up in desperate poverty in a world that seemed to care nothing about him. So that, um, while he's certainly unlikable in his present state, it's at least much less surprising how he got that way. We'll come back to Scrooge shortly, but for now let's read the text. So. Um, Kristen read that one, read the text for today earlier because it's recommended for hanging at the greens. It's just three verses of Isaiah, so we'll read it now. Listen, friends, for the word of God as it is proclaimed by God's servant, the prophet Isaiah. This is chapter 9, verses 2 and 6 and 7. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. 
Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. For a child has been born for us, a son given to us. Authority rests upon his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His authority shall grow continually, and there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. He will establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time onward and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So how does our, uh, our past impact our present? That's really the, the question before us today. These verses from Isaiah are significant ones in our faith history. They're the perfect reading for today. Our Old Testament ancestors, after having suffered setback after setback, after having been conquered first by the Assyrians and then by the Babylonians, after having had their world turned upside down over and over again, after all of that had happened, they began to hope for a Messiah, a savior, someone who uh, would deliver them from their enemies. And of course, waiting for the arrival of the Messiah is what this season of the Christian church here, Advent, is all about. Now, what we know about these verses is that they were were probably written in the second half of the eighth century BC, and that was during a kind of confusing time in the history of our faith. The northern kingdom of God's people, which was named Israel, um, had formed an alliance with Syria, which seems weird. They had attacked the southern kingdom of God's people, which was called Judah, and we don't really have time to get into the details of that specific historical context, but suffice it to say that these verses were originally written during a time of tremendous uncertainty and tremendous disruption. But in later centuries, they came to be seen as a prediction. These verses from Isaiah came to be associated with the promise of a Messiah, someone who would restore God's people and rule forever, and that hope for a Messiah was that the broken past would not define the promised future, that God would would take what had been and remake it into something new. Which is to say, these verses from Isaiah took on new meaning, and for us as Christians, incredibly important meaning, pointing to the future rather than reflecting on an eighth century circumstance. And while Israel, Um, imagined that this Messiah would happen at the national level. What we came to believe as Christians is that this happens at the personal level, at the individual level. We believe that in Christ, each of us has a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, the Prince of Peace. So that while our past, the things that have come before cannot help but to shape us, it's the way the world works, our past does not, in fact, have to define who we are, and that's a lesson, it turns out, that Scrooge learns in one of the most beloved Christmas stories of all time. The Ghost of Christmas Past, this is from A Muppet Christmas Carol, uh, which we're gonna show in Underwood Hall on Friday. The Ghost of Christmas Past takes Scrooge on a tour of his childhood, sure you know the story, reminding him of the hardships that he faced growing up. We get this sympathetic view of him, as I said, because, because of the experiences that have shaped him, the poverty, the abandonment, the cruelty of the adults 
in his life, all of which is terrible, but what we learn is that that's not all of his story. (laughs) That's not all that happened when he was young. He also receives kindnesses along the way, and these are kindnesses, the ghost points out, that Scrooge seems to have lost sight of. The ghost of Christmas past reminds Scrooge of of the love of his younger sister, for example. And he's reminded of his early adulthood when he was an apprentice to the kindly Mr. Fezziwig, who was a a generous and supportive boss in stark contrast to the way that Scrooge treats his own employee, Bob Cratchit. And in what I think is the most poignant scene in this chapter of the book, in this encounter with his past, Scrooge sees his first and only love, and this is from the version that we'll show here in the sanctuary, the Patrick Stewart version. The woman to whom he had been devoted before money and greed began to dominate his life. And in this scene, um, she just tells him the truth. She says, another idol has displaced me. I have seen your, your nobler aspirations fall off one by one until the master passion gain engrosses you. And Scrooge is dismissive of that he feels like he's just gotten wise to the world. He says, even if I have grown so much wiser, what then? I am not changed toward you. But seeing clearly the man that he has become and predicting rightly who he will be from that point on, she breaks up with him. She says, I I release you with a full heart for the love of him you once were. (laughs) May you be happy in the life you have chosen. And of course, we've read the first chapter of the book. We know that he's not happy in the life that he's chosen. We know he's, he's miserable. He's miserable personally. He's miserable to everyone around him. And so by the time the ghost of Christmas past leaves him, Scrooge has been reminded of who he had been. He had gotten a glimpse of what might have been, and these memories leave him deeply shaken. Now, the thing about this story, um, for me, is that it's a reminder. (laughs) It's a reminder that all of us carry the baggage of our past. It's an inescapable part of living. Everything that's happened to us, everything we've done, it's part of who we are, we carry it with us. And hopefully, most of it is healthy and wonderful. Hopefully, most of it are, are memories of these beautiful experiences that have made us who we are, a blessed history that has led us to the moment that we're in now, hopefully most of our baggage is a joy (laughs) to carry. But we have to be real about that because inevitably some of what we carry is a burden. The hurts from the past, losses from the past, difficulties, grief, the the guilt of the things that we've done wrong, the mistakes that we've made. And with that that difficult part of our past, we could go one of two ways. (laughs) We can can learn from it, and we can heal from it, and we can move into a healthier future. And I think that needs to happen with the help of our faith, with the help of our pastors. When necessary, it's with the assistance of therapists as we pursue mental health. Like that's the ideal, the healthy way to deal with the burdens of a past. Or, or we can let the hurts and the difficulties and the griefs and the losses and the guilt of the mistakes that we've made, we can, we can let that all define us in ways that are unhealthy. 
And one of the great lessons of A Christmas Carol is that to, to do that, to choose that path, is to choose a path of sadness and misery. It is true that our past will always shape us. <laughs> That's part of life, and there's no escaping it. But our past burdens need not define us. Because as people of faith, our Messiah is a wonderful counselor and a mighty God and the Prince of Peace. Our faith in him, our choosing him, our life in him gives us the hope and the peace and the assurance that we otherwise lack. We can't get it any other way, in my opinion. Our faith in him gives us the meaning and the purpose that all of us seek. And so this Advent, as we begin this blessed season for the preparation of Christmas, may we choose him every day. Amen.